The following program is an abridged audio version of the streaming video talk show, A Wonderful Chaos. The hosts are Andy Chaliff and Bambos Dimitriou. The format is entirely casual, unscripted conversation. If you'd like to watch a live taping or participate with your comments in real time, subscribe to A Wonderful Chaos on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, or Twitch. I think it was the second season, maybe, they let me really physically build a real set. I mean, the walls, everything. And I could go crazy. And I thought, I want to do this for a living. Again, using junk and cardboard and glue and all that stuff. And there was that moment I stood back and I go, look what I created, you know? And that was fun. It's a wonderful chaos. Solo or tandem? We work to find rest. And the atheist pray. It's a wonderful chaos, and we like it that way. It's a wonderful chaos, and we like it that way. It's a wonderful chaos. We have bringing Dave Lowe on. He's been creating props and doing art direction and TV and motion pictures for over 30 years. And I put this title because it honestly is how I feel. This is the coolest job I know. Because this is like, we're going through this one family and we're just picking them off one by one. So we got Ted Lowe. If you hadn't seen the show with Ted Lowe, it was Mr. Mom. And basically it was him reversing roles with his wife where he's really taking care of the two kids mm. while without doing stuff. Uh, and so that was a really wonderful show. And then we had a second uh, individual from the same kind of family, Kirk Scott, and he did or does stop motion animation films. Uh, Caroline was one of the movies he did that we discussed with yeah. him for an hour. And Dave Lowe is the older brother. And when I was a kid, um, I would sneak into Dave Lowe's house and he'd have the coolest shit around that he'd make. And why I said this is the coolest job that I know is because Dave's brain works similarly to how my brain works, except he does it professionally and I do it as an amateur. And, and what I mean by that is Dave sees shit and he says, I could make that into a spaceship. Or he sees like the most abstract little thing that you would see, like he'll take a trash can cover and then he'll paint it and put it right side up, upside down or sideways. And all of a sudden it becomes a satellite dish for a feature film and a sci-fi movie. So in, in a way, I like I see through his work, the way his brain works. So I, mm. I'm imagining to myself, he walks down the street and looks at everything that exists and says, oh, that would make a good spaceship or that would make a great futuristic this or this would make a great alternative that. So I, I love seeing his work because it becomes this kind of inspiration for me when I see things. And you see, when I walk past, past a trash bin, Ronnie pull, takes me by the hand and says, no, Andy, no. Don't. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm only looking for what I can make out of this that that hasn't been utilized yet. So that was my excitement with bringing him up and how I came up with the title, The Coolest Job in the World. And we both know he's really excited to uh, talk about yeah. it. 
in that low family that I know of, there's some people that like to be more in front of the camera and a lot more people that like to be nowhere near a camera. Dave mm -hmm. is certainly on the not only not wanting to be near a camera, but not wanting to be any, anywhere near anyone who wants to be near a camera. So he's sort of like two steps removed in that process, as far as I've seen. Yeah, and, yeah. and live. <laughs> live. <laughs> Double it. Because <laughs> it can't be edited out. So, and in spite of that, I think he has appreciated us and how we've been holding space for the rest of the family. So he yeah. said that he'd come on and discuss a little bit like what life looks like when you create things. So I was more interested mm -hmm. in the creativity and how his brain works and what, like how he comes up with the ideas and, you know, some of the props that probably failed and some of them that were better than he had expected. That was sort of my, my, uh, my hope to discuss with him on the show. Yeah. Beautiful. Shall we bring him on? Yeah, we shall. Mr. Dave Lowe. Hey, Lowe. Very well. How are you? Good, good. I've never been called Lowow or Lowe before. Yeah. Lowie. <laughs> Lowie. <laughs> Lowie. It's your French name, Lowe. Right. right. <laughs> so anything in the introduction that was off or you'd like to correct? Uh, it's probably... Uh, less a need to use it's more a need to use junk because i don't have the money as opposed oh. to really being truly creative you know is that right because that's a that's a good question to start out with with creativity because in a way i believe that you can be even more creative when you're looking at junk and turning it into something magical as opposed to having ultimate resources to create whatever you'd like is that true or what were your yeah, experience yeah a lot of i mean a lot of necessity is the mother of invention, right? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, a good chunk of it is uh, exactly that. I mean, no joke. I mean, you have to deal with budgets. So, you know, you get more bang for your buck when you use old junk. And then sometimes you could have a project where you've got a lot of money to spend and then you don't spend it wisely. You end up throwing it all away on the world's most expensive gallon of paint. And you realize, oh, man, I could have done so much more. You know, when, yeah. you know, because at the end of the day, when it's on camera or on the screen, nobody's going to notice if it's three hundred dollar paint versus thirty dollar paint. You know, yeah. as long as mm -hmm. it's used well. So, yeah. Andy spoke about when he was a kid and he would come to your house. Like, take me back to the mo the, the moments that you remember in your child when you started to create stuff, and maybe for you it wasn't a big deal, but. For everyone, I was like, wow, this is incredible. Oh, I, yeah, I, uh, not to be gross, but my mom and dad used to joke that they knew I was going to be creative because I was using what was in my diapers on the, on the crib, <laughs> drawing finger painting, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so I've been creating from, from that age. Were they so, trying to yeah, say that you, were they trying to make another point that you were creating crap or were they just saying <laughs> that you were, you there you go. <laughs> very good. Yeah. So, yeah, I've just been creative from the get-go. I just making, building, creating, drawing, cartooning, you know, you name it. And also my grades sucked. I was, I was a terrible student, so I was a proverbial nerd and, and you know, the outcast kid. So uh, being able to draw really got you popular, you know? Yeah, because, I mean, I would go to your house and you would draw and sketch things that were really magnificent. They were they – were, uh, I would say they took your imagination. I know you were always a little bit, I remember it a bit gory or in your, in your portrayals in that age. 
did you say Gloria or Gorier? Gory, like a oh, little Gory. bit. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, but I think everybody goes through that phase. You know, I went through the into comic books and drawing and the horror movies and all that stuff. So everybody goes through that. I think any artist, cartoonist, illustrator goes through that phase of like, oh, bloody's cool. Yeah, make, mm. make the head explode, make the eyeballs pop out, you know? Yeah. So, so well, yeah. Where, where would you find your inspiration? Because back then we didn't have YouTube, we didn't have internet. Mm. So where would, where would you find inspiration for your creations? I mean, very similar to the way it is today. I mean, yeah, the internet's an amazing thing, but, uh, you know, like I said, I was into comic books, I was into cartoons, mm. the old Bugs Bunny cartoons, Saturday morning cartoons. You know, in that in those years, you discover anime, go to comic book shops, yeah. even the comics of the newsstand. I mean, I remember comics on the newsstand. Forget comic book shops. And the, so the inspiration came from everywhere. And I also had a – my dad was also very talented and an artist, and my great uncle, uh, my great uncle Tom, he was an incredible artist. And so I was brought up with – just them kind of doodling at, at the table. And I was drawn to it as opposed to seeking out. Yeah. What it was, was I wanted to be creative. So you seek it out when you, when you want to, you know, mm, yeah. my mom brought me up on classic illustrators, classic illustrated books, Howard Pyle and C. Wyeth, uh, all the great old illustrators. So, uh, so yeah. So the inspiration was easy to find back then. Now it's even easier, but yeah. you know, it wasn't a difficult thing to find. And when you were going to school, you said you were a bit of an outcast in the beginning. How did the school system support you in your art, if anything? Uh, my grade school had was was terrific, and uh, and all the you know all the teachers I had were very supportive. You know, they encouraged me. You know, I yeah. And then uh, and uh, I, I remember uh, I did kind of an in class comic book where I, I kind of did a superhero versions of all the kids in the class, you know, uh -huh. Kevin Brown and called him super Kev. I had Laura voice became the spaghetti. I did all these crazy characters. So, so that became fun. And that was encouraged. The teachers actually got into it and they, they wanted to read the comics too, because they were having fun with it. And then in high school, there wasn't a true art department in, in my high school I went to, uh, or art class, but, uh, teachers gravitated or they allowed me to, to, Delvin there, they had me paint the football banners and the, the school play posters. And I became the high school cartoonist. They did a cartoon in the school paper. And so everybody, I was very lucky in that a lot of the people that were my educators, my teachers, and, and uh, you know, the, the grownups, they, uh, they all really encouraged it. Nobody mm. ever talked, talked me down about it. So, mm. Outside of when I said I wanted to go to art school for college. Then my dad was like, Oh Jesus. <laughs> Get a real job. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't it's, that bad, but there was that it, moment it, of like, it's <laughs> funny. Cause I've always had the idea. Cause your dad was also, you know, a director. Right. Right. Director, producer. Yeah. For years. And, uh, and, and Bombos, I'll have to show you a video, but there's a great, there was a very famous show in the U S called candid camera. I think that was probably in the eighties, maybe in the seventies. Right. Right. Where uh, and and his dad made these skits where people would be brought into situations they weren't uh, knowing, and then they would play pranks on them. 
And well, he I'm didn't do Candid Camera. Candid Camera came before. He did the newer version, Bloopers and Practical Jokes. Oh, okay. Bloopers and Practical Jokes. Sorry, yeah. I, I'm, I'm corrected. Um, and I don't know the difference. <laughs> um, but in this show, it was so funny, is that in one of the shows they did, they actually turned the tables and they did a practical joke on him as he thought he was doing it on somebody else. Yeah. So there was a TV, uh, 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 this, this, it's a beautiful moment where they're just fucking with him as he's thinking that he's trying to fuck with somebody else. And you just see him lighting up the cigarettes and getting more and more nervous as the skit goes worse and worse and worse as he. <laughs> so my question to you is when you're, when, you know, when you're in that environment, now I didn't, I wasn't raised with, creativity around me in terms of like my mom she liked to do stuff so i can't say that completely but in your life how do you feel like having your dad being the director and producer how did that influence you and what you like thought you could do with your talents or you know what your interests were drawn towards hmm. you know it, it, i think it, i think again it was just that uh his life was an adventure and everything was creative it was like he'd always be you know, traveling somewhere. He worked for years for 60 minutes too. So he was traveling to France and Europe and all these crazy places and every job was different, you know? And so, so that inspired my creativity in a sense that it wasn't established that he had to be locked down doing that one thing all the time. You know, mm. if something's a project, work on it, you get it done and you move on to something else. And so that, I guess, in a sense, and I, like I said, my dad was just a creative guy in general. Like he, he loved to draw too. So, and he was always very inspiring with uh, supporting my art and all that stuff. So just him as a father helped my creativity, but his job, his work, it was, because even, even with, a, with a dad who is in entertainment, right? Um, you still enjoy entertainment. So my dad was a celebrity to me as a kid. Because he, he, he was very proud. He was like, oh, my dad knows Johnny Carson. My dad's worked with Johnny Carson. You know? And it's, like, it's kind of cool because you're like, you're a fan of that, but at the same time, you're connected to it. You know? yeah. So there's, there's it's something, it's, 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 it's nice. It's, it's fun. You know? yeah. Hmm. yeah, I think I've noticed in my own life that like, the areas, it, and it, this is an aside, but a very similar thing I've been discovering lately is for me, to get up and move to another house and to leave everything that I had behind is really easy because I did it so often as a kid. I think we moved like six times or some absurd amount in a very short time. So as a, in a very young age, I was surrounded by this, oh, it's natural to take everything you own, put it in a box and bring it to another place. And, and, and it's, it's weird because when you get older and you think, oh, we're just going to get up, put a box in and you forget that that's something you became accustomed to over time because as a kid that just was normal and so in a way weird way i think i'm only more recently grasping the things that are so normal for me where if if i say ronnie let's just take all our things and we'll move out in a day and she hadn't had that experience that i had it's a little bit different for her to have that same experience right 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 yeah. right well for me it's like the hardest part of moving is taking all the junk i've collected over the years like you know I, you know i don't mind moving except now that i'm old it's you know the back isn't holding up like it used to, but you know, you just become a hoarder in a sense, yeah. you know, especially in my job. So, so, yeah. uh, you know, I psychologically, I don't mind moving. I, I, there's always a great fresh start to it, you know, no matter where you go, even, even with work, you know, just, 
you, you're working at this studio, then you're moving over to this studio or, and then in your home, it's like, it's always, it's always nice to have a fresh start. But, uh, mm, yeah. so, uh, I agree with you on that. It's like, you're kind of used to that. So, you know, it's not a, it's not, it's not trauma if I have to get up and move to another place, you know? Yeah. Nice. Um, when someone wants to work with you, Dave, like help me understand, do you, do you go in and you look at the script and you create or are there guidelines? Like yeah. how, how does that work? It, you know, every project is different, you know, on some of the shows I work on, um, uh, it's that it's all scripted. It says, okay, we need this. We need that. We need that. And so you just base it off what the script says and what the needs are. And then you, you kind of, they're hiring you for a vision or an idea. So yeah. you create that vision and idea or you give them choices, photographs, sketches, whatever. And then, you know, they, they sort through it and say, no, do this, make it more this, make it more this. Make it more this. And then in other cases, it's, uh, it's really hands off. They're just, they need you to give them the idea. You know, especially yeah. the DIY shows, the how-to shows that I've worked mm. on. Those are the ones where it's like it's a you know we need we need to create something with a Christmas theme for this segment. You know, what do you got? You know, and so yeah. you come up with ideas and projects and uh, or the makeover shows are like that. You go into a blank space and okay, we want to make it nautical themed. Okay, go start sketching. You know, wow. so yeah. it's a little of both, it, but it always depends on the job. You know, so like if, do you ever get into situations where you have a blank mind and nothing is coming to you. Like what's your creative process? Uh, or, or do you have a team where you're like having fun? Like, Hey, we should try this or that. And like, again, again, every project is different. You know, it's, uh, you know, you know, with some of the assistants and prop people I've worked with, it's like, you know, it's exactly that, you know, it's, it's sort of like you can let the ideas bounce around and everybody's like, Oh, I got an idea. Oh, we could do that. And it's like, great. Okay. Then you kind of funnel it in and, and figure out the best look for it. <laughs> and then, um, there are moments where you kind of draw a complete blank, like you've got nothing, you know, but then I found to have no fear when those moments hit, you just start, you know, it's like a blank page. It's like, you know, you, you sit in the stare and you're like, what are we going to do? But once you start putting something on paper, or get something going, like Andy was talking about the trash can. If you had a trash can, you just start gluing stuff to it. Something comes out of that, and then you can morph and change it. And then, yeah. then the ideas start clicking on how to make it bigger and better. So that's what usually happens to me when I draw a complete. What does that line. remind you of, Bombos? R two D two. Yeah, that was about. There was a moment, by the way. Uh, I uh, there's this Dutch thing. Uh, it, it, uh, pottery we call Delft. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. It's, it's like, like plates and it's plates, jars. Right? Poly, well, polyester with blue ink on it. And, okay. Uh, and, okay. and, and, uh, and we, in the building I'm now in, we've got a few hundred pieces of it on a wall. It's pretty outrageous actually, nice. but, but some of the pieces broke and fell and there were extras left over. So I started gluing it together and made this sort of very high artwork. It was just this pieces of Delft hanging in the air and, uh, and, and it was just, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, wait for there. it <laughs> until the, until the motherfucker Bambos <laughs> thought he was going to clean it by putting it in the shower and running a shower head over something that's precariously sitting, just holding itself together by sheer will. And, uh, but the funny thing was, is that, and that's why I was saying earlier that your job was something that um, that for me, because when I start gluing it together without knowing how it's going to come out ahead of time, there's a zone I go into yeah. 
which is it's a bit like I'm going to let my intuition guide me. It's it's not all that different than my writing style. I don't necessarily know what I'm going to write before I start writing. Right. And it's the same is true when I'm working with like this physical structures where I start gluing it and I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, that worked out much better than I expected. So I, mm-hmm. I, I hear the similarly yeah. in, in your experience. Yeah. And that happens even with set decorating. You know, you're not too sure. It's like, just just put the chair in that corner and we'll go from there. You know, and then you kind of grow and then eventually you're like, oh, the chair looks better over here, you know. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, and that's part of the fun is when you hit that zone, there's nothing that there's no greater feeling for me. You know, yeah. when you're kind of right there and you're really feeling it because then the ideas start, you know, the, the ideas start to hit and you're like, oh, 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 and there's nothing better than everybody going, oh, what if we did this? And they all get yeah. excited, you know, it's like. And that's fun to see that energy grow around the project as it's going. And then there are moments like your creation where you've glued it together and it looks great. And it's just got to make it 30 seconds before the camera stops filming. Yeah. And then it's like, cut. And then it, then it crumbles and falls apart. <laughs> You're, okay, at least, we got it, at least we got it that far. You know? Yeah. When you started out, you were an artist, right? So... How how the hell do you do you start by, to put pricing on something that you don't even know? Like you have a, you, you know you're good at something, but how do you connect it to this industry? How did you go about to? Uh, yeah, actually, how do you how do you translate your talent into something you can sell, like you can get paid for? Well, I mean that's the <laughs> you know I it's like anything else. You're a hired gun, you know, especially you know. When I started as an illustrator, it's like that was the fine line between, you know, that's, you know, they call it work for hire. You know, it's like the artist does it for themselves. And so you price it based on your vision. It's your art. You know, an illustrator or a cartoonist or or an artist, you know, you're being you're being hired to create for someone. Right. So so pricing gets very, you know, it's. It, that's a whole, we could do a whole nother episode just on yeah. pricing. It becomes. But, but would, would someone come to you and say, I need a single piece. I want you to make this and this is how much I, budget I have for it. Does that also happen? Oh, well, that's usually the way it works. It's, it's one or the other. It's, it's uh, you know, they say, okay, we've got so much money. Here's what we need. And then you go from there. You so know? Give me a sense budgeting wise. What's like the highest level budget and the lowest level budget that you would work on? Oh, um, no joke. You can give, give me anywhere between you got $3,000 to decorate four rooms, including the props, including all that. And then you can get where here's $10,000 and we just need one really cool piece. Got it. You know, it's so again, it's, it's, it's all, it's all specific to the project. It is. And the production company and the network and all that yeah. stuff, it, they all work with a budget, you know? So it's like, they, they tell you what they can spend. And in some cases they don't know how much something's really going to work. They know what they want. Yeah. So, you know, they'll, they'll say, you tell me how much yeah. it'll cost. And so I create a budget and then, and then like, then it goes from there. You break it down. It, yeah. Or, you know, and, and usually those are the moments where you realize you underbid, you go, yeah, it's going to yeah, cost this much and you wince and they go, okay, great. And you're like, damn, I should ask for more. <laughs> you know? Oh, wow. Um, did you ever say no to a project for for values or just because you didn't like the client or because you you were like oh I'm not I'm not the right person for this project? 
Sure. I mean, yeah, it's like you got to know your limitations, you know, so, you know, I'm more of a I'm not a real contemporary decorator. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not the guy who's going to go. Like in. A, if it was a future set or something, that wouldn't be yours back. Yeah, no, no. The more themey, the better for me. Right. You know, or especially children's books are fun or over the top. You know, if somebody wanted a really chic, I could do it. But if somebody really wanted a super chic looking beach house that looked like it came out of an architecture magazine, you know, that's where you like. Yeah. You know, that's that's where I get a little nervous because that's really not my thing. Got it. You know? uh, but in terms of moral grounds, there's been a couple of projects where I've kind of bowed out because it was like, mm, I, you know, well, I got a call one day to do a porn. So I was like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to yeah, do a yeah. porn movie. Sorry. But I was going to say, if, if, if they would need a set design for that. That's kind of fascinating to begin with. Sure. I mean, yeah. it's, it's still a movie at the end of the day. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You just didn't want your name on the subtitle. Yeah, he's creative director Dave Lowe. <laughs> hey, is that Dave? <laughs> hey, what do you do? Do you get to take the props home with you? What's the rules on the props that you create? Again, depends on the project. And okay, but do, you, do you sometimes take props home with you? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Okay. Especially like uh, ones that I've custom made. I like to hold on to, you know, um, uh, but usually, I mean, they call them props because it, it's, it's short for property and it's yeah. property of the company that, you know, you've bought it for or made it for, you know, so <laughs> so it's really up to them. In some cases, they don't care. They're like, we don't want to deal with this stuff. You take it. And in some cases to help the budget, if you bought a purchase stuff, you try and return it and put the money back into the budget, you know. So, nice. you know, again, it all depends. And there's some stuff I made or built that I never want to see again. So I'm like, please, somebody take it, you know? Have you seen sometimes that, like, you created stuff? Because there's two things. There's the creation of the thing, and then there's how it looks on camera. Mm -hmm. So you can create something that's brilliant but doesn't look particularly great on camera or the opposite where it yeah. was, like, in, like, horrible, but on camera it looks great. So yeah. how often is that the case for you? Uh, not very often. I mean, occasionally it happens, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I, you know, I don't know if you guys really, it, last time you went to a play or something, but usually props in theater are really, uh, theatrical, uh, like an example, years ago, uh, I found the opera I saw and the skull that they were using as one of the props, it it is so horribly painted. It's just black with white and it's, there's no gradation. There's no subtlety to it. It's just, just, just terrible. But from the back row of the theater, it looks amazing. You can see it, you know? And so the yeah. same goes for sometimes with the props you build. It's like, you got to know if it's going to be a hero prop and you're going to get a real tight close up on it. Like here, that's where you want to go in and really put in the fine details and make sure it looks great and, you know, and uh, make sure there are no glue marks and, and all that. And then there are other times if you know it's going to be a big piece way in the distance, that's a moment you just slap it on and hope to God it doesn't fall apart, you know, because yeah. you know it won't be. So that plays into it a lot, you know. But again, it depends on the project, you know. Nice. Yeah. Dave, Interesting. do you like your job? I love it. I you, love think it's it. a, you think it's one of the coolest jobs out there? Yeah, 
it's pretty cool. Great. So, yeah. so we keep the title, Andy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what was your most exciting setup? Like you were, as you were working, you were so excited and so much in the zone. You had a full body fuck yes to it. Like, wow, I'm doing this, and people pay me for it. Oh, that happens a lot. I mean, that nice. happens. I mean, I have a lot of moments of that where it's like, it's well. Just from a creativity standpoint, I'm very blessed and lucky that I've worked on a lot of shows and a lot of projects where there's that moment you're just like, oh, this is, look what I'm doing. This is fun. This is fun. But then there are moments where you're like sitting there and you're like, I hate this and I'm angry and everything sucks. And I think, and you come home and you're like, what was I complaining about? I was complaining about painting eggs. Like yeah. I wasn't digging ditches. I wasn't like, you know, down in a pit, you know, slurping <laughs> up toxic waste. I was painting Easter eggs and I was getting angry. It's like, those are the moments you're like, you, know, you just want to slap. I mean, I mean, you can always hire someone to do the jobs you don't like to do. Right. Sure. 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 <laughs> outsource. So, outsource. Yes. Um, so what has been one of the coolest jobs that you've ever done? Like it, it really uh, expanded the, the way you think, like it really had, you had to really bend your mind. If anything, Wow. Um, Deadpool. Uh, that's a tough one. What was that? Deadpool. Deadpool. <laughs> I wish. Um, gosh, I like, I, uh, I remember, I think, I think the first I did, I did a show for the sci-fi channel in the early days when the sci-fi channel was brand new and it was really a young network and it just started. A show called Sci-Fi Buzz, which was like kind of an entertainment show about science fiction and fantasy and all that stuff. And uh, I think it was the second season, maybe they let me really physically build a real set for it. Right? I mean, the walls, everything, and I could go crazy. And I thought, and it was just me and a good friend of mine, old friend who was my my go-to carpenter back in those days, Greg. That was the show where I was like. I want to do this for a living. It was like really just, again, using junk and cardboard and glue and all that stuff. And there was that moment I stood back and I go, look what I created, you know? And that was fun. That was, I think, you know, and I look at that set now and I, I, I wish I could do it over again. There's so I've learned so much since then, but at the time that was a, that was a cool moment. That was a neat, neat moment, you know, because uh, it was something physical and real and, and I built it from scratch, you know? with Greg's help, obviously, but, uh, but so, so I hope that answers your question because beyond that, I've had so many projects that there's this moment of like, how did I end up doing this? This is great. This is awesome. You know, it's, mm. it's, you know, and, 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 and especially to be able to do projects that you always dreamed of, like there's always been in your head, you've wanted to build something. And then suddenly the moment arrives where you get that chance, like uh, the show I worked on on Hallmark, I've always wanted to make Captain Kirk's chair from the Enterprise. You know, the, nice. The, William Shatner came on as a guest. And so the show in those days, we would, to try to get the guests to stick around for the full two hours, we sometimes create a project, whether it's a cooking segment or maybe a DIY that was in theme with them to get them to hang out and, and do the project. So I pitched, let's build Captain Kirk's chair as a DIY. And the producers were like, yeah, let's do it. So not only did I get to make Captain Kirk's chair, but I got to be there with William Shatner. And, and, you know, it was just, 
I mean, that's a geek dream come true. Yeah, but yeah. Those, are, those are the cool moments where you're having, you know, something you've you get a chance to create something you've always wanted to create. You yeah. know, was he was he as self absorbed as he looks like when you when he gets interviewed or not? He was. He's no, 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 no. He was. He was actually very, very friendly. But I know it was funny. He just he when we were done, he wanted out. He, oh, he yeah. wasn't like I'm going to hang out and chat. He was just gone. He's like goodbye. <laughs> see you later. Yeah. Well, yeah. hey, listen, he's got a life as well. Like right here, but but he definitely wasn't like I'm going to chill out by craft service and have a cup of coffee. <laughs> no, mm. I um I recently saw and and I mean there's a lot of humility in the low family, right? So. You, you, the props you create are really quite spectacular, although we're not looking at them as we speak. And one of them I saw that you recently posted was the one where I don't even know what show it was for, but it was like some sort of tower like thing that had all these arms coming out of it. Oh, and it was the resonator. I think, yeah, it was, I just did that, uh, what, December? November? Yeah, it was not that, it was not that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was for a company called Full Moon Features, which is kind of a, a, a horror movie sci-fi company that makes, you know, no, they're open about it, pretty schlocky B movies. Mm -hmm. But they, you know, but they have a cult following. They, they've been around since the 80s. Oh, wow. And, uh, and so they're still going strong. They're knocking out movies. So, uh, so they created H.P. Lovecraft. You guys familiar with H.P. Lovecraft, the no. horror writer? He's a, he's a well-known horror writer. Anyway, uh, uh, it was based on one of his short stories. And uh, the resonator was this contraption that opens up a portal and an interdimensional, you know, you know, whatever, you know. But yeah, uh, yeah. so uh, but when so I looked at that, when I looked at that resonator, like mm -hmm. I, I what I loved is that on it, you would point out some of the things you were using. I think in that instance, it might have even been the top of a trash can. That was one of the pieces on it. Mm -hmm. So. But the funny thing is, is that it looks so fantastic on it. You'd never know it was a trash can unless you pointed out that it was a trash can. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's part of the, the what I when I joked about budgets, but it is true. But at the same time, that's that's one of the things I love. Like when I get a chance to turn junk into something, there's nothing better. I mean, it goes back to, you know, uh, back in the early days where like. Well, I've told the story before, but so anybody who's watching and knows me, I'm sorry to tell you a story again, but it's like uh, when you were a kid and you're reading all the magazines and the how-to behind the scenes of Star Wars and all the, and you suddenly got see that uh, the guys literally were taking two paint buckets and gluing them together and they're, and they're just adding model the model kit parts to it. You're like, wait a minute, because in your head as a kid, you're thinking you're seeing this stuff and you're like, there's a magic to it that you have no idea. Like that's a skill. No one. And then to actually discover these professionals are using stuff you have in your own house, gluing it together and making stuff. It, that opens your brain up and you're like, ah, oh. and so, and so any chance I get to do that, that's what, in a weird way, when you do stuff like that, you really feel like a real professional prop maker, model maker. Cause that seems to be the trick, you know, that's been good. Like, uh, when we were filming up on the universal backlot, I was taking a walk around in in the Western town. And there was a big kind of in one of the prop areas, a big Roman chariot wheel, right. Just sitting there. And I went up and looked and I realized that the, the, the metal studs that were on there, they were just pieces of wood that they snipped off and glued on. And I'm going, this is universal studios. You know, again, it's like, you think there's some 
professional magic and stuff. And at the end of the day, it's all just simple tricks and nonsense. Someone with a glue gun and some paint. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah. yeah, and that's it. And that and that is a that is inc- that to me creatively is that's the joy of making some of this stuff. Where if you can fool someone to believing what you've created is what you would, you want it to be, mm. but then they go, wait, that's that's a milk carton. You're mm. like, yeah. You know, I, I got to yeah, go ahead. It, it, it's, it's your creation and special effects, right? A little bit. Yeah. 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 Um, Do you have a junkyard of place like where you keep stuff that you're like, I don't know what I would use this for, but it feels like it could be used somewhere down the road. Do you have like a place where you I'm keep a, shit? I'm in a much smaller, thank God I'm in a much smaller apartment, but, uh, but, uh, I still have two or three boxes that are just full of stupid stuff. I could pull it over for you right now. Just <laughs> no, no, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I mean about moving. This is where it sucks for me to move because this is it's just full of odd bits of junk that I, I don't I, I don't want to get rid of it because I know that could be something cool. You know. Yeah. You know, and you know, and and it's kind of funny. It's it's like you know, and it could be the most random stuff. It's like oh, a, a cap from a half and half container. You know, oh, that's a good button. Throw that in the yeah. bin, you know, stuff like that. So, so there's a fine line there between being psychologically damaged and being on the show hoarders yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, doing my job, you know, but yeah, there, there are times, like you said, it's like, you know, walking down the street, it, it, I'll be hard. I'll see something and, you know, somebody's thrown in the alley to get rid of it. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. That's cool. I, Oh, and yes. already my ears are turning of what it could be, you know? But then, yep. so it's like, nope, 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 nope. Like the old house I lived in, uh, the garage was, it was just full of that stuff. Just yeah, full of that. There was no car. There was no car. It was, it was my workshop slash, you know, uh, cavern of like, you know, troll gold, you know, dwarf, you know, it was just full of like cans and bottles and all this stuff that it's going to be something one day. Bolalong, his uh, he's uh, in South Africa. He says he's expressed that his neighbor is doing the same job. He creates different things that are never ever the same and loads them onto trucks and they disappear. <laughs> that, could it. that could be it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm that guy. It's like uh, my neighbor uh, who I share a, a parking area with. It's like he, he goes, he, he goes, uh, he goes, are you a prop guy? And I'm like, yep. And he goes, I knew it. <laughs> oh, funny. My garage is always, it's either full of junk or my car is full of junk. And then it's magically all gone, you know, because I've taken it to set or used it, you know. And by the way, Derek Young, who I imagine oh, you know, says, listening to Master Low while working on props. It doesn't get much better than this. Uh, sweet. Nice profile picture, Derek. Yeah, we like it. We like the Derek, profile. Derek's an amazing, talented uh, prop maker as well. And, uh, we met each other years ago online, started following each other's work online. And then it turned out he lived only a mile away from me down the street. Oh, wow. And mm. it, yeah. So yeah, he's, 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 he's a really, really talented guy. Mm. Dave, to, to what degree do people with outside of work ask you to make shit for them? A lot, a lot. And, and, and that's my bread and butter. I mean, you know, working in television and stuff, it's not steady work. You're lucky if, if you get jobs back to back. So, so a good portion of my income and I'm available people commissions, you know, I like last night I was just drawing a, a, a logo for somebody, you know? So, so it's commit birthday cards, gifts, you know, you name it, you know, I'll do it, you know, <laughs> including painting eggs, people. Yes. He do does that. eggs as well. 
<laughs> I, the thing that you've done more recently, you've been posting stuff that I've found fucking brilliant. And they are iconic moments in films oh, right, right. where you do a narrative around the piece as if it's been discovered right. in an archaeological dig. And the, a few of them, and I'll point out the one, the one that I really loved was basically in the Indiana Jones film, Indiana Jones is in the front of the Nazi vehicle right. where he pulls off the Mercedes-Benz logo as he falls down and then goes underneath the the truck. And and in and what what you what I saw you did is you matched two things beautifully is you wrote the narrative of on paper that would look as if the paper was already 50 years or 60 years old. Right. And then and then this was found in the deserts of the Sahara with and then you aged this this uh prop this uh this yeah. mercedes-benz in order in order for it to look like it would have been something that would have been in in the desert floor for you know that much here so how do those ideas now come about and is there any vision of how that would be uh sold or done anything with uh you know it started years ago i mean a lot of those are old projects and i'm actually getting inspired to make a few more uh, i guess uh as a prop maker, that became my art in a sense. It was just kind of fun to, to kind of, so many people recreate props for movies, which is great. That's how you learn, that's how you grow, that's how you, but I always liked the idea of, I want to create something that could be in the movie, but you haven't seen yet. Does that make sense? You know, yeah, and, yeah. and I love the element, like the old cabinet of curiosity or oddities, things like that. I love to tell a story with the props. So, I started creating these kind of archaeological treasures, you know, or things that somebody might have in a cabinet. Like, I don't know if I posted it recently, but, you know, I made, do you guys remember Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the old cartoon, the Christmas one? Well, when the big snow monster's tooth gets pulled, I made that and kind of said, like, like, this is a physical tooth. That It's kind of taking these stories and making them realer by creating something tangible you could touch or feel, you know? Yeah. And I like mm-hmm. and I love spark the imagination that, you know, um, like I did a whole series based on children's books. Like I made the little prince's sword and made it all rusty and I gave it again, the archaeology. And there's something about creating the uh, the tag, you know, the, like it's been archived in a museum somewhere and it's been found. And and so you're like, oh, wait, was that a story or was it real? You know, so it kind of, you know what I mean, to actually have a tangible object from the story. It, it's that play on that, you know, it's, so I want to do more of those and, and I've got a few, few more I'm going to kind of get busy on soon. But, uh, but like I said, I mean, that to me is like, uh, I guess my art form, you know, my, something I make for myself, you know, mm. because and I it, find them fascinating, the muscles going and get you know, growing and painting and being creative when you really have nothing else going on, you know? I mean, the way you made it so that they felt like they were archived images, like the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer with the tooth of the monster that was pulled out, like right. that that for me was uh, was just uh, – it, it, it made, like you said, a film which was so abstracted away come right. to life because then it gave you the perception that there might actually have been a tooth, which is what you right. just said. Like which the, I, was the story based on the tooth? Yeah, you know, it's that's my point. It's a that's it's really brilliant. Kind of, you, well, you explained what I was trying to say much shorter than I than yeah, I. I don't know about that, Dave. Uh, Derek Young says thank you, and it means a lot coming from you. 
So oh, that's that, sweet. Thank you, Derek. We'd also like to recognize J.C. Barnett, who's in Kentucky right now listening to us. And as of yesterday, he's a grandpa. So we're going to congratulate J.C. on becoming a grandpa. And I believe he might it might not be the first of the, the grandkids, but uh, if not. Congratulations, J.C. Congratulations, J.C. And I don't know if you know who J.C. is, but J.C. was the swim coach at Notre Dame High School. Which, no kidding. Yes, he was. And uh, he's been on the show as well. So, oh, nice. Yeah. And he's an avid listener. My sister Megan and Monica say hello too. Yes. Megan wanted to make sure and tell you that she was your friend before Ted's. She was my friend before Ted's. I don't believe that's true. I tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because you moved from New York City to L.A., well, right. Providence. I was going to school in Rhode Island. Yeah. Uh, where? Well, because you were later. You you were late. But I went to yeah. drama class with Ted, and I remember Ted distinctly because in high school he had on this stinky leather jacket he used to wear from New York, and he would smoke cigarettes outside all day. And <laughs> at that age, it was something so cool to be with someone with a leather jacket smoking. So he was living yes. like. He was like Fonzie from Happy Days at that point. Yeah, well, Ted embraced the New York myth, right? <laughs> he did. He did. <laughs> he was going to be that, that bad boy from New York, you know? What, what, what's the toughest thing that, or challenge that you face in your profession? What was the toughest thing I faced? In or general, what, like as, as a prop maker, as a business owner, like what's the thing that you face? Like, oh, fuck. It's like a roller coaster. You know, it, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a multi-leveled question <laughs> or answer. It's, you know, from a creative standpoint, uh, the toughest thing sometimes is uh, when a, when you're not having much input, like you're really just doing what they're telling you to do, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so you're not being allowed to put, you just become literally a guy holding a paintbrush. You know, you're not being creative at all. You're just, you're just, you're just fulfilling their needs. And, and that can be, that can be tough, you know, because mm-hmm. those jobs happen sometimes, even though they're hiring you for your vision, your ideas, sometimes you're just there to create what they want. And they're telling you exactly what they want. Every detail, every step, they're actually telling you where to go buy something, where to go get. So that's where it gets a little, that's where you just uh. Mm, all right. I, I'm a photographer, so I've never had this, but it's almost like they set everything up and all they need me to do is push the button. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, that would suck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that would suck. You know, and so that from a creative standpoint, that's tough. And also, you know, sometimes personalities who were just, you know, you know, it should be blue, but they really want it pink. And there's no real good reason for it to be pink outside of they just like it pink. And yeah. you're like, but it looks I, fine. We'll make it pink. You know, it's, you know, but that, but I mean, that's, the, but that happens. That's the way the job is sometimes, you know. Have so you ever that, been, have you ever been fired? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> what, what was you the, got another hour to talk? <laughs> what was the, what was the time when you thought you most deserved to be fired? And what, why was that? Oh, there's one job we could talk a lot about. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to leave that alone, but I worked at an art store once. I got a job for about a month in an art store and I came in the next day from a shift and the guy just goes, here's your check. Thanks. And I was like, 
what, what, what? He goes, we want people who are going to work. And I was like, what did I do? Like, and then I realized I didn't, yeah, he's right. I just kind of stood there in the art store like this, waiting for somebody to come up. And like, I didn't, I wasn't really motivated working there. (laughs) I was just kind of standing around and, you know, if a customer came near me, I go, can I help you? And they go, no, I go, okay. And I just keep like that. Like I, zero sales skills. Yeah, zero. So, so when I got, so I was really angry and I left and I was like, brr, brr. and then when I got home and I was like, yeah, he's right. I, I didn't do nothing. I, I, was, I was completely useless. So, so how, how do your clients find you? Do, do you prospect clients or, or is it the other way around? Or do you, is it like a job opening? A, a little of both. I've been, I've been very lucky that, that, uh, um, one job, the people you work with on that job remember you and they bring you on to their next project. And so a lot of it's word of mouth. And, and you know, in the last few years, a lot of it is, you know, thank God for social media. People discover your work online and they reach out to you and ask, you know. And uh, and then in other cases, it's you're hustling. You're, you're making the phone call. You're, you're seeing, you know, you're sending your name or your resume out to a, a company and saying, hey, I can build stuff for you. I can make stuff. I can design. So it's like, I think, anybody's career you know it's a little bit of everything you know mm. when you, you when you do this project you were on you were doing the prop design for hdtv for a lot of years yeah i worked on a lot of those shows yeah yeah, yeah. And, and i mean i always like to watch because when when you were um doing it like you mentioned earlier they'd say we want you to decorate a house with oversized christmas gifts in the lawn Mm-hmm. And then you kind of would create the the easiest way to to do something. Like that. When, when they when they task you with something like that, have you already done that? Or are you making that up in that moment? Um, a lot of stuff you're you're kind of uh, you've made before, and you're using those. You know, you, you you know you've got it. You're like I know. And then a lot of stuff you you totally bullshit. I, I like I said, no fear. I've said yes to stuff that I have no idea how I'm going to build it. I have no idea how I'm going to make it. I just know I want to try and I'll figure it out somehow, you mm. know? So, Love it. And, and sometimes those are huge failures, but the thing is they can't really fail. You know, you so you just gotta, if it, you gotta sit, sit up all night and fix it and make it work, you know? Yeah. But, uh, but so again, it's a, you know, it's a little both, you know, it, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's using old skills you've learned over the years. And, and again, a lot of it's just diving in and we'll figure it out. So if you work with so many prima donnas, like how do how do you deal with that? Um, I've been really, really lucky. I, you know, sure, every once in a while, you know, the Hollywood cliches are true. They could be divas, they could be assholes, they could be, you know, blah, blah, blah. People slapping coffee out of people's hands, you know, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff happens. But I've been really lucky that it really hasn't, you know. I, mm-hmm. I you know, I've worked with a few people that you have to you have to charm them, mm-hmm. you know, you know, but I haven't really worked with anybody horrible, you know? So, okay. so, you know, but again, everybody has their bad days too. So sometimes that one person you're working with on a Monday, who's just, you're like, this person's the, I'm, this is the worst human being on the planet. Suddenly the next day, your best friends, you know, it's like, yeah. so do you do the typical shit sandwich when you deal with these people? Like, I really like what you're doing, but I don't think this is going well. And I think we it's going to be a great show. Do you do that? <laughs> sure. sure, sure. <laughs> Did you hear that, everybody? But I think, yeah, 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 yeah. Doesn't mean I'm going to do it to you. <laughs> but, uh, 
But I think everybody does that in whatever job you have. You know, it's, it's, you've got actually, to, actually, that's not true. But, but speaking of getting fired, yeah, that's the fact that I haven't done that is what's gotten me fired. Where yeah, I'm a exactly. little too honest. I'm a little too like I, I, I speak my mind a little too often yeah. when I really shouldn't. So, so, uh, mm. so I'm working. You know, so it yeah. goes a long way to massage and yeah, you know, be charming. I had a coaching call right before we got on the show and I was talking to someone about how they're engaging the world and they used a phrase and two or three times and I'm like, oh shit, there, there's going to be a challenge in their lives if that's the phrase they're using. And the phrase was something in the world the way I'm going for clarity and they're not. And, uh, and when I heard that, I was like, oh, because I know the challenge becomes everybody is just dealing with their incapacity. So if you have no compassion to their incapacity, then you're judging them instead of just having the idea, hey, maybe they're just trying to figure it out like me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very true. Yeah, Very true. Yeah. And those situations get worse when everybody's under pressure and working on a deadline and trying to get things done in a very short amount of time. And you're working with a lot of people and a lot of hands in the, in the a lot of chefs in the kitchen. So... So, yeah, and I'd like, like to ask you a more general question, taking this a little bit off topic, if that's okay, Bambos. No. Okay, go ahead. Dave, the craziest setup, like it went to shit, but it still worked out. Share with us. Yeah. Wow. Oh, I hate this. You know what? I'm going to think of the story an hour after we get done talking. You know what I mean? It's uh Man. So nothing comes up in a way like, oh, fuck, we almost messed that one up. There have been a few moments. There have been a few moments where little things happen, you know, um, but I can't think of a project that completely fell apart. Um, has, been, has, has anyone ever been injured on a project where things have fallen on them because they weren't like created uh, well enough? No, that's that's where, you know. Hmm. knock on wood I, that's where I, I really take pride in what i've done in the past it's like outside of maybe somebody slipping off a ladder and falling or something yeah. you know i'm very proud of the fact that all the projects i've worked on with people i've hired and the crews i've had no one's gotten seriously injured outside like i said okay. outside of tripping or falling or something but oh yeah. man i've had a few flip close calls i've you know myself like Using a chop saw really quickly one day, not thinking about it, and the blade cut through my shirt and just hairline on my stomach, and it was like that close. And I was like, and, and then I've had like I put a drill, like holding a piece of wood, and I screwed right into the palm of my hand. You know, movements uh, like that; those things happen. But thank God, yeah. thank God, no serious injuries. Ch change of subject, Andy. Go. So. There's, there's, you know, there's a debate that's that's been held for several centuries now, or decades. Sorry, not centuries. And the question is, who's the actual father of Ted Lowe? Because he's so different than the rest of your family. So I'm trying to figure out who conceived your 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 brother. Dad had a real long vacation in Mexico once we remember. Okay. Right, and then he spent a lot of time in other countries. So. It's a tough one. I mean, you know, think about Megan. We're all brown-haired, brown-eyed. Megan's yeah. the only blonde, blue-eyed in the family. Very green-eyed. That's true. You're right. So, yeah. yeah, all bets are off on that. 
So Ted, Ted Lowe, if you haven't seen the show, Mr. Mom, it was an incredibly entertaining show. And, uh, and Ted has been a dear friend to me for, uh, as long as I can remember. I used to sleep on his sofa at the Starlet Motel when dad threw me out of the house. So, and, and if you know anything about the Starlet Motel, it was, small enough for one person. So to have a second person on your sofa was not a very comfortable place to be. So he was really doing me a big favor by letting me be there. Yeah. But you can say you stayed at the Starlight because it's become kind of a little bit of a legendary landmark. It is. It's right across from Warner Brothers Studios. Ted's actually in the last letter. You know Ted from the last letter. Ted is highlighted in the the first book that I, I did, The Last Letter, where he acted as the go-to man to save my ass when dad was not in a good mood. Look, I've got the, I've got the extra large version. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we have, you, have, you, have you read the book, by the way, Dave? I have not. I will, but I have not yet. Um, we've got two minutes left. Now, uh, you said that you didn't know how this was going to go because you're not particularly excited about being on anything, especially if it's live. How do you feel it went? I feel good. I feel good. You know, you know, it's, I just get nervous, you know? So, uh, so what will happen is this will end and I'll, for the next half hour go, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why? Oh, that's the answer I should have had. Oh, I should have. And then I'll want, and then I'll, 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 I'll DM you. And I'll say, let's do this tomorrow because now I have all the right answers. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll write back going, no, we're fine. And I'll be like, all right. You know, yeah. and then I'll probably watch this later this afternoon and just go into a three hours of self-loathing. Really? You would think that you had a bad moment on the show? <laughs> no, you know. Let me guarantee you, I, I enjoyed your company and I... Uh, I think the questions we asked could have been better, and that would have at least helped you to find better uh, answers. No, to no, you guys made this very comfortable and easy. Actually, speak mm-hmm. for yourself, Andy. I, I'm cool. Great. <laughs> so we're blaming you, Dave. You're just not a good okay. guest. It's all your That's fault. Fine. Self-loathe as much as you'd like. I've been Dave, Dave uh, are there any questions you didn't want us to ask you? Yeah, that we didn't ask, that we, we shouldn't have asked. Uh, you shouldn't have asked me to be on the show. <laughs> yeah. Why did you say yes to this show? Because out of all the things, I just, if I'm you, I'm thinking, God damn, why do I need to, why do I need to do this in my life? So what made that you said yes? I said yes because you were interested. I was like, well, if, you know, if you're interested in hearing things I have to say, sure, I'll talk oh, to you. Great. And and I, and I love the podcast. I, I'm catching up on a lot of old, old, old uh, episodes and, you know, the one with Ted and, and, and Kirk were terrific. So yeah. I figured you have to complete the trilogy, right? So... No, thank you. Now you get to get Megan and Monica on the show. I know, I know. I got to think of a concept for the two of them, right? Because Megan and Monica, you know, I don't exactly know how I would, what my angle would be yet. I need an <laughs> angle. So if you have an angle, DM me, and then we'll find a way to get them on the show. Who's well. your real yeah. father? <laughs> Why are your eyes blue? Yeah. <laughs> we we do not know. <laughs> you look like none of us. That's great. Hey, by the way, if people want to track your work, where would they go? So we have oh, yeah. um, Dave Lowe Design on Instagram and DaveLowDesign.com is my webpage. And, and in there, there are links to Facebook and a blog I used to write. But, uh, but yeah, those are the two main, Dave Lowe Design and uh, DaveLowDesign.com. Thank you for being with us. Thank yeah. you. 
It's a wonderful chaos. We like it that way. 